Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Jonah. The Old Testament book of Jonah and Jonah and chapter number one. The book of Jonah in chapter number one. Now, of course, we took time to introduce this book this morning and give the overview. And of course, we realize that the book of Jonah is written... Um, <coughs> From Jonah's perspective, as God had called him to go to the city of Nineveh and to preach to the Assyrian Empire and with the idea that they would repent and turn to God. And of course, we saw as God was in control of nature and God did these things. Now, what I would like to do today is go back to the beginning and we're going to highlight and pay special attention just to chapter one. And we would like to pay attention. Remember, as we go through scripture, the first thing that we should be looking for is how do we learn about God? What do we learn about God? What do we know more about him? Remember that the book of Jonah is not a book about Jonah. It is a book about God. And so thus we need to see what we can learn about God through the book of Jonah. With that in mind, turn with me to the book of Jonah and chapter number one. The book of Jonah chapter number one. And if you don't mind, let's start looking at verse number one. The book of Jonah chapter one and verse number one. Notice what the Bible says. The book of Jonah chapter one and verse one. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh that great city and cry against it for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee under Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down to it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea, to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone out into the sides of the ship, and he lay, and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him, and saith unto him, What meaneth thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us, that we perish not. And they said, Every one to his fellow, Come, and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. And they said unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and dry land. Then 
were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And they said, then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea is wrought and it was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so that the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land. But they could not, for the sea was wrought, and tempestuous was against them. Against them, Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase? Mark a name of God that we find in the book of Jonah chapter number one. The book of Jonah chapter number one, and notice the name of God that is used in verse number nine. Jonah chapter one and verse number nine, the God of heaven. The God of heaven. And with the Lord's help, let's go to the Lord together and let's talk to him. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God, a God who so loves us very much. And Lord, help us to understand not only how this name of God is used, but let us learn the importance of this name of God and understand the power of this name in the culture that we live in today. Lord, I'm asking that you would help us to have good understanding, that you would empower us and that you would do something amazing through your precious spirit tonight. You have perfect liberty. You do what you want. And let us learn of thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The God of heaven. Now, most of you who know me know I have made a lifelong study of the names of God. The names of God are very important to understand how they are used. In fact, that's one of the specialties that I love is not only studying the name of God, but also studying in its context. And it adds that much more power. There is a reason why God used a specific name in the context that he put it in. Now, with this, we could see the name of God here is the God of heaven. This is the name of God, El Hashemayim, for those of you who like spelling such thing, it's El Hashemayim, E-L space. Hashemayim is H-A-S-H-A-M-A-Y-I-M. Uh, El Hashemayim. Now, this is the name of God, the God of heaven. Now, <laughs> when you study the names of God, as another interesting thing, I like to study chronology. And it's interesting to see how people use the name of God in different cultures or different periods of history. If you notice at the very beginning of chronology, which would Im include the book of 
uh, Job and the book of Genesis, that one of the ways that they referred to God at the very beginning of history was that he was the Almighty. They just referred to him as the Almighty. He's the great and powerful God. And then as Genesis goes on, we start to tack on some more names, more of the uh, L names, the God names, <coughs> the 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 high God, the mighty God. We'll see a lot of these things. Then, of course, we're introduced to the name Jehovah God in the book of Exodus in chapter number three. And then from there, you start to get more of the Jehovahistic uh, combinations, meaning the Lord of hosts, the Lord of this. And you could see how the different names of God are used throughout history. Whenever the people would get to the place where they have to a spiritual battle or a physical battle, God would use the name, the God of hosts, the God of all the armies of heaven. And it was meaningful that when you realize that you're on God's side and that's a majority, you could face any enemy. And so you would notice how these names of God is used. Now the the name of God, the Lord, uh, the God of heaven is usually used in what we would call the exilic or the post-exilic books. You say, what in the world is that? Well, we understand that in history, God had brought the people of Israel into their own nation and they became the nation of Israel. Saul was the first king and then after that David and after that Solomon. Then after that the kingdom was split. The first king of the northern kingdom was Jeroboam. The first king of the southern kingdom was Rehoboam. And eventually the northern kingdom was destroyed by the Assyrian Empire in 722 BC. And the southern kingdom of Judah was destroyed in 586 BC. Now both the Assyrians and the Babylonians took the people and they scattered them throughout the Assyrian and the Babylonian empires. And now as the people, the Jewish people of the southern kingdom are now scattered throughout Babylon and throughout the known world, they're now in a world where there are many gods. In fact, if you would study cultures of the world, the Hindus and the Egyptians probably had more gods than anyone else. They have thousands upon thousands of gods. Babylonians were not too far behind. They had lots of gods. And so if you can imagine being a Hebrew person inside of a foreign nation where there are many gods, you would say, I serve God. Which God? And in order to identify specifically which God you served, you would say, I serve the God of heaven. And this would be the identifier mark. The God of heaven carries the idea, the God who created heaven and earth. And so which God do you serve? I serve the God who made all of this in the first place. Which God do you serve? And so the, the phrase the God of heaven is usually used in a culture of a pluralistic society. What is a pluralistic society? It is a society that has the belief of many gods. Now it's not necessarily a polytheistic society. A polytheistic means the belief in many gods. That would be like the Hindus. They believe in many gods. We live in a pluralistic society, meaning that different groups of people believe in different types of gods. For example, we believe in the God of the Bible. The people who follow Confucianism follow the teachings of Confucius. Buddhism follows Buddha. That you would have um, 
the Mormons follow their little God. You would have uh, the Islam following their God. The Native Americans would follow the great spirit. The Japanese would follow ancestors. And so what happens is you have different groups of people who believe in different gods. And so in order to differentiate which God that we serve, you, we have to identify ours is the God, the God of heaven, the God who made everything in the first place. And that God is different than all of the other gods. Now, in our society, because we live in a pluralistic society and because everyone has to be fair, people like to have the idea now that one God is not better than the other gods. That Allah is, you know, just as good as the God of the Bible. In fact, they're probably the same. Oh, you know, in those Buddhists, you know what? They believe in Buddhism and they believe in good works. You know, their, their way is just as good. Their belief is just as good. And, and so what happens is that a pluralistic society wants to say that everyone's God is the same. That is not correct. So how do we identify that our God is different? By the name, the God of heaven. Our God is the God who made the heaven and the earth and everything in it. Your God did not. Now we're not saying it as a way of downgrading them. We're saying as a matter of course and a matter of fact. This is our God. Our God created everything. This is the God that we serve, the God who made everything in the first place. Now, this is important, and you might want to remember that name because you'll run into that name in the book of Daniel. So Daniel's working in the government of the Babylonians, and so he works with Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, Nebuchadnezzar, we serve my God. Which God? I got thousands of gods. Look at them. And Daniel will say, the God of heaven the God who made the thing in the first place. You get to Ezekiel. Ezekiel's transported. As Daniel is working in the palace, Ezekiel is pastoring the Hebrew people who are over in the Babylon area. And just to differentiate, which God are we talking about? The God of heaven. You'll see that referred to as they start dealing with these other kingdoms. Now, Jonah is different because it happens years before the exile, years before the destruction. However, it still applies the same because in the context that we're at, we're dealing with some soul, uh, sailors who are not Hebrew. They're Gentile. And they come from different cultures and they are serving different gods. And so when um, <coughs> Jonah is introduced and talks with them, he has to identify which God he is serving. Not just God general. I just serve a God. He has to identify which God, and he does it by identifying, I serve the God of heaven, the God who created heaven and earth and everything that's in it. I serve the God who created everything. And with it, in Jonah chapter 1, remember when we study the names of God, we study them in their context. So what we see in the context here is that not only is God, Jonah claiming to serve the God of heaven, God is proving it with his power over heaven and earth. So with that, let's examine here the book of Jonah here, and let's see as God is bringing these people 
who believe in many plurality of gods, different gods, because they come from different cultures, and how God uses a backslidden preacher, a rebellious preacher, and still bring these sailors to know who the real God is. Isn't God so wonderful that he's using this as an event to bring these sailors to a knowledge of who God is? Compared to all of their other gods. Now when they started it. They don't have any clue what's going on. But they've been serving Moloch. They've been serving Ashtoreth. They've been serving Baal. They've been serving Ishtar. They've been serving Chemish. They've been serving all these other gods. And they're fine with it. Your God's same as my God. Your God's just as equal as my God. It's fine if you serve that God. Or you serve that God. It's fine. You just serve a God and that's it. By the end of it, they're going to learn that their gods have no power whatsoever. Notice if you don't mind, let's notice in verse number four. And what we're going to do is we're going to do something different. We're just going to walk through the passage. Notice in verse number four. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. And there was a mighty tempest in the sea. So that the ship was like to be broken. Now as we're studying the God of heaven. With the idea that God is the God who created the heaven and the earth. And because he created heaven and the earth. He has power over heaven and the earth. We could see that it very clearly states. God's the one who created the storm. It didn't happen by accident. It wasn't an El Nino. It wasn't a happenstance. God created this storm on purpose, for a purpose. And it was clearly a storm that God had designed and that God had made. Notice as we go to verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid. Again, this is a supernatural storm. The mariners are experienced and seasoned sailors. They've sailed the Mediterranean quite a bit. They understand that storms come, cyclones hit. But this storm was something different. And they were afraid. How afraid were they? And the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God. So as the storm hits, these mariners who served other gods... They cried to Moloch. They cried to Ishtar. They cried to the storm god Baal. They cried to this god. And they cried to their god. Maybe there were some Greeks. And they started crying out to Zeus. Maybe they were going to every storm god they could. Trying to call. They went to Poseidon. They went to Neptune. They cried to them all. And none of their little G gods was able to do anything to the storm. Nothing. And they were afraid. God caused the storm. And they prayed. They prayed earnestly. Fervently. It wasn't a wimpy prayer. They were doing everything they know to cry. To these little G-gods. But their little G-gods were nothing. And they could not hear. And they could not answer. Now of course the mariners. Are looking at what's going on. Meanwhile Jonah takes time to slip down in the hold and go to sleep. We explained that this morning. Why he did that. He's at peace for the boat sinking. He's fine. He's not praying to his God. Because he knows what's going on. He knows what the cause is. And he's fine with it. He's trying to be a great patriot. Again we explained that this morning. But the shipmaster found him. And they brought him to the shipmaster. And says what meaneth thou old sleeper? 
Why are you sleeping? We're going to die. Pray to your God. In fact, notice in verse 6. So the shipmaster came to him and said to him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Call upon thy God. If so, that, that, that God will think upon us that we perish not. Now again, notice the names of God. When you see the name G-O-D, capital G-O-D, this is going to be carry the proper term of God. In this case, it is used as a generic term for God, though it's referring to the God, uh, true God. It's capitalized in our English Bibles. But here it's just referring to the generic. You pray to your God. I'll pray to my God. We need everyone praying. This is, this is something bad. Maybe someone's prayers will get through. And so they found out that it was Jonah in verse 7, verse 8. They go up to him and say, what is your job? What is thy occupation? Where are you from? What people are you serving? Tell us what's going on. And in verse 9 and 10, Jonah begins to explain that it is his God that caused the storm. Notice in verse 9. And he said unto them, I am in Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Notice he's identifying which God he serves. Jehovah God. He's using the personal name of God. The capital L-O-R-D in the Old Testament identifies the personal name of God, Jehovah. He says, I'm serving Jehovah, the God of the Hebrews. In fact, not just the God of the Hebrews, the God of heaven. Notice this. I serve Jehovah, the God of heaven. I serve the God of the Bible, the God who made heaven, and the God who made earth. And let me tell you, he's the one that caused this. Notice again, verse 9. And he saith unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord Jehovah, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. I serve the God who made all of this in the first place. He's the God who made the heavens. He made the earth. He made the sea. And let me tell you, he made this storm. Verse 10, then were the men exceedingly afraid. Imagine this. They had been serving their false gods in different manners. When it came time to the storm, they prayed to their false gods. But they had never heard someone speak so clearly and so boldly, my God caused this storm and I can tell you why. My God who made heaven and earth, I'm telling you my God is powerful enough to cause storms. My God is powerful enough to end the storms. My God is powerful enough to make this whole thing in the first place. And when they heard him speak about his God as the creator God, they were afraid. You know, there's something about it when you realize that God has true power. You know, part of our pluralistic society is that everyone has a God. You have a God. You have a God. You have a God. Everyone's God the same. And so everyone's God is meaningless. You worship God however you see fit. You worship God however you see fit. And it's fine. Religion doesn't make sense anyway. So you believe whatever you want and... And so they explain it away and they make it, you go ahead and have your belief, but it doesn't mean anything. Well, let me tell you, my God's real. He made all of this. He is the creator God and my God has actual real power. You know, one of the things, because we live in a pluralistic society, is nobody really thinks their God has power. I mean, even the Islamic folks 
who really are fanatical, some of them are fanatical about their God, don't believe their God has power. They believe they have to take the power in their own hand to get the job done. They don't ask their God to do things. They do it for their God. In fact, think about even most Christians. Most Christians get to the place where I have to do all the work. My God can't do anything. I just do some platitudes to him. And then I do the work. And we treat our God as if he has no power. And if we treat our God and act as if our God has no power, then why should the world be afraid? Now, by the way, being afraid here is not a bad thing. It is a recognition that this God has power. When you stand before a celestial being like this, who has the power to create the world, the power to breathe the world into existence, that should cause you to fear. That's a very humbling thing to stand before a living God. And so Jonah say, listen, I'm calm and at peace because I know who did this. I know why he did this. And let me tell you, he's the God who made everything. By the way, just as a reminder, Jonah was already a preacher. And you could already see him. He's defending his God. He's not running away from God and the call of God. He's already experienced in telling people who God is. I'll tell you who this God is. He's the God who made everything. He's the God that caused this. My God has power. And the men were exceedingly afraid. They were afraid of the storm because of its power. They're exceedingly afraid of the God who caused the storm. And they said, why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told him. Notice verse 11. And they said unto him, what shall we do to thee that the sea may be calm to us? For the sea is wrought and was tempestuous. Now the sailors ask him, what can we do to make your God happy? You tell us, we will do it. They were not expecting the answer of throw me overboard. <laughs> In fact, they tried to do everything they could not to do that. Hey, if your God's got great power and you're the servant of that God, we're not touching you. We don't want this God any more upset than he already is. You understand, they're starting to believe that Jonah's God is real. They're not talking about their gods and how much power they have. They're talking about this God who has real power. And they're exceedingly afraid. Please tell us what to do. Throw me overboard. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's, let's try something else first. And they tried everything and they failed. Because they could not match the power of God. Finally, they just gave in. All right, throw them overboard. I want you to notice now in verse number 14 as they cry out. Wherefore they, those Gentile heathen mariners, cried unto the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. Who are they crying out to? Jehovah. They are actually saying the personal name of God. Why? Because Jonah told them to. He says, I fear the Lord in verse 9, the God of heaven. I serve Jehovah, the God who created heaven and earth. Jehovah is his personal name. He is the God who created all of this. So when they said, all right, Jonah, we're going to take you. Jehovah, that's your name. That's what he told us. You have real power. Uh, we're going to throw him overboard. Uh, please, be nice to us. 
I mean, notice as they pray, and they're talking to this Jehovah God. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee. That word beseech means beg. They're crying out. They're merciful. They're begging. Lord, please, please don't hurt us. Please. We're just trying to obey. We wouldn't touch him unless he told us to. We're doing. Please. Let us not perish for this man's life. And let us not lay innocent blood. For thou, O God, has done as it pleased thee. So when they're tossing them overboard, they're trying to double check. All right, God, we're just doing what he told us to. Don't punish us for killing him. Uh, don't, please. We know how powerful you are now. Please. Can you see how frightened they are to even touch the man of God? Why? Because this God has power. You know, if Jonah was a regular Christian, let me tell you, my God's real. And then he said, throw me overboard and we'll prove it. People wouldn't bat an eye. They wouldn't be frightened of that God at all. They may be frightened of police or consequences because of actions of that. But they wouldn't be scared of God. These mariners are frightened of God. And they're saying, God, please, we're just doing what we're told. Do not punish us. Don't Please be merciful to us. We're not trying to harm him. We're just doing what we're told. And they dump him overboard. Verse 15. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea. And the sea ceased from the raging. Can you imagine this? So fear. And you throw him over. And all of a sudden, the sea is calm. Can you imagine that instant and now they're really afraid notice again verse 16 then the men feared the lord exceedingly exceedingly why because god has proved that he had true power why because he is the god of creation he's the god of heaven and earth so they offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. That word vows, of course, carries the idea that they made decisions. What did they decide? Let me tell you, God, I'm going to follow you because you have proven that you're real. We'll see some of these sailors up in heaven because they trusted God. Think about that. God proved his power so that a bunch of heathen sailors... Could get saved. Now, couldn't have God taken care of Jonah a different way? Yes. But he did it this way to prove to them he is the creator God. I want to remind you that our God is the God who created heaven and earth. Our God is a real God, and our God has power. Now, with this, we begin to understand a little bit more how to deal with a pluralistic society. Remember, we're not in a polytheistic society. That is a society that believes in multiple gods, like the Hindus, the Egyptians. We believe in, we have a pluralistic society where each people have their different gods. And the society tries to say, well, that God's the same as this one, and that God's the same as this one. So if we live in a pluralistic society... How do we reach a world when they already believe in their little g-gods? Well, we see the beginning of it here, that we introduce them to the God of heaven and earth. We explain that our God is the God of creation. Our God has great power. With that same idea in mind, turn with me to the New Testament book of Acts. 
the New Testament book of Acts in chapter number 17. In the book of Acts 17, you have the apostle Paul who's on one of his missionary journey and he now comes to the city of Athens. Now, Athens is in Greece. Of course, this is... Um, <coughs> This is going to be over a thousand years in the future, give or take. And the Apostle Paul's now in Athens. Of course, the Athenians, now they're in the Roman Empire. But the uh, uh, Greeks had a plethora of gods. They had Zeus, the chief god, the thundering god. He was married to Helena. Of course, they would have kids, and then you would have Apollo, and you would have Aphrodite. And then, of course, the, the uh, Romans came, and they took the same Greek gods, and they just changed their name. So Zeus became Jupiter, and uh, <laughs> Aphrodite became Venus, and uh, Poseidon became uh, Saturn, and uh, <laughs> or Neptune, and... Um, Hades became Saturn. I'm trying to remember. It's, you know, so they had lots of gods. And the Greeks, what they did is they had in their, um, in one of their Colosseums, they would have a, um, a different hold that would have every statue that they could think of of every god. They had all the Greek gods. They had them repeat it with the Roman gods. They had the Egyptian gods. They had the Middle Eastern gods. And they would have them all in displays. And so you could walk around and see, here is a picture of Zeus. Here is a representation of Helena. Here is a representation of Apollo. Here is one of Aphrodite. And you could go through and see these other gods. And in case they forgot one, they had an empty slot and they had an inscription said the unknown God. And this was to represent in case we missed a God, we don't want to offend any God. So we want to make sure that we took a, a place for this one. So the Apostle Paul, he uh, is on his own. He comes to Athens. The rest of his group is going to catch up with him. And notice with me as Paul now comes to Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17 and verse 22. Acts chapter 17 and verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I Unto you. So Paul says, all right, you Athenians, I went by and I was admiring your architecture. I was admiring this spot where you had all these other gods. And I happened to notice you had a missing spot. You had a spot there to the unknown God. Let me tell you who, which God you're missing. Let me tell you the most important God that you're missing. Verse number 24. God, verse number 24, God that made the world and all the things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth. Dwelt not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with man's hands, as though he needeth anything, seeing that he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they may feel after him, and find him as though he not be far 
from every one of us. And he goes on and gives this message. But notice what the Apostle Paul does. He's living in a pluralistic society. He's living in a society where the Romans are, or the, <coughs> the Greeks are saying, listen, we want to make sure that we got all the gods counted for. So the Egyptian gods, Roman gods, Greek gods, Canaanite gods, these gods over here, we got them all covered. We're good. You just pick a god, you're fine. It doesn't matter. They're all the same. You just pick, you serve whatever god you want. And Paul says, listen, you're in a thing where you believe all gods are the same. They're not. Let me tell you the God that you missed. The God who created everything. Notice that, God, that Paul goes back to creation. This is one of the reasons that creation science is so important. That every Christian needs to have some working knowledge. Because you understand this is how we identify our God is different than the rest of the gods. Because our God made everything and we can show others our God made these things. We could show them in science. We could show them in astrophysics. We could show them in geology. We could show all of these things that God is the God who created this. And then he destroyed the world with a universal flood. And it left evidence. We could show them that our God is powerful and smart. After all, a God who could flood the entire world and kill every creature on it except for what's on an ark, that's a pretty powerful God. A God who could breathe the world in existence, that's a pretty powerful God. A God who could create all peoples. They're one blood, but one peoples. That's a pretty smart God. A God who knows the times before they were appointed. That's a smart God. You understand? Our God has power. Now we understand in our society. People like to say. Well your God's fine. And your God's fine. And your God's fine. But they don't have any inkling. That they really have any power. It's just something to comfort people. But our God is not like those gods. Because our God is real. And he still has powerful he still can work. He can still do miracles. He is the God who created it. He's the God who left evidence. There is a proof that God existed and that God works. And it is that God we want to introduce people to. Because people are not comforted by a wimpy, powerless God. Ask those mariners. Were they comforted by Baal? Did Ashtaroth ease their suffering? No. Who was it that finally worked? Jehovah, the God of heaven. Today, when you say, oh yeah, it's fine. You go ahead and believe in Confucianism. You go ahead and ancestor worship. And they're fine with it. But let me tell you, those have no power whatsoever. But the God of the Bible, the God who made heaven and earth, he has real power and he is able to work in our lives. How do we know? Because he made the world in the first place and he still has power. Let me tell you that don't buy in to the idea that people's gods are the same and as long as they're serving some God, they're fine. When we have evidence that our God is real and people need to be introduced to this. So again, what did Paul use? He used creation. 
Let me tell you about my God who created this. Again, just a different application today, but knowing the audience that we have here. How fluent are you on explaining to someone about creation? Could you try to explain something? Now, we're not saying that you become a scientist and you have all these statistics, but you should have some sort of way to explain to someone that you're not believing in a fairy tale, that you're not believing in a myth. Someone comes up to you and says, do you really believe this Jonah story that Jonah was swallowed by a whale? Isn't that just a story? No, my God's powerful enough to do it. By the way, we could use a history thing to show it's been done before. Okay, fine. But uh, surely you're, you're more educated to really believe that God created the world in six literal days. I mean, don't you believe in evolution? There should be no reason whatsoever any Christian should ever believe in evolution. Evolution is contrary to the word of God. We are just anti-science. Well, I'm not, and I have the background to prove it, but I'm not trying to prove my background. I'm asking about you. Can you explain to someone else, point them to someone else, defend what you believe? Why do you believe that what I just said is true? Do you really believe that God created the world in six days? Why? Do you believe that God destroyed the world in a flood? Why? Because pastor said so. Well, you're not going to really influence that person. I'm trying to help you out now. Because we have to recognize where we live at. We live in a pluralistic society where people said, you go ahead and believe in that God. You believe in that God. We're all fine as long as you believe in something. And we have to say, no, our God is real. He has power. Let me tell you about him. Again, I challenge every believer you should know what you believe and why you believe it. And you should be able to go to creation and defend your God that he is real and that he has power. You said, I don't know how to do that. Well, the good thing is, is every now and again, I do creation seminars. And because of the magic of technology, you could always watch them on YouTube. You could study things for yourself. You could go down to the ark um, display in Kentucky and look for yourself. You could go look up stuff like Institute of Creation Research, which is a bunch of scientists who have banded together to help prove creation. There's all kinds of resources to help equip. There are books. I've got tons of them. There are tons of things for you. And it's something that you should know for yourself. Just a little bit to be able to know what you believe and why you believe it other than because pastor said so. Because you are going to reach people that I'll never will. And to be able to say our God is real. Well, what makes your God different than mine? Because he's real and he has power. He's the God who created everything. Let me tell you about it. Again, we live in a pluralistic society. If it wasn't for God showing and proving his power... Those mariners would not have accepted Jehovah, the God of the Hebrews. But because God is the God of creation, they did. Because our God is real. And because our God has power. Again, this is more of an encouragement of tell you who God is. As a reminder, just in case you needed one, 
Our God is real. This isn't a fairy tale. And he is different than the other gods. Because he has power. He's the God who created the heaven and the earth. And he still has power. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.